0: I'm Aaron Reynolds, and you're listening to Explain Like I'm Five on the 2020 network, brought to you by Interact. Speed is key for Canadian shoppers. Is your business keeping up? It can with Interact Flash. It's the platform that millions of Canadians use to check out quickly and securely. Learn more at interact.ca. John McCallum, Canada's ambassador to China, was fired earlier this week after speaking to Chinese-language media about Canada's detention and possible extradition of an executive from Chinese telecom company Huawei. McCallum suggested that Meng, the executive, might have good legal arguments to fight the extradition. Explaining the firing, Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister Krisha Freeland said, "...the central job of an ambassador is to represent accurately the government's position... John didn't do that, and that is why his position was untenable. So I got to thinking, if that's the central job of an ambassador, what other job does an ambassador have? What exactly does an ambassador do? To help me answer that question, I have Colin Robertson, former Canadian diplomat and current vice president and fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Thank you for joining me. Good to be with you, Aaron. I'm going to admit something here. My whole understanding of the world of ambassadors comes from Star Trek, and so I would like to get some really (laughs) basic stuff out of the way just right off the bat. Um, I would love it if we could define some terms around diplomacy. Um, As I'm reading articles, I'm seeing diplomat, ambassador, foreign service, high commission. What what are these things?
1: Well, just as in Star Trek, the ambassador was the envoy from one state to another, and, and the envoy's job is basically to act as a interlocutor, an interlocutor, and an interpreter, if you will, uh, to take a message from the, whole, the, the government that they represent to the government that they are going to go and speak to, and then discuss whatever the issue might be at stake, and the issues in diplomacy cover everything from war and peace to trade to migration to consular affairs, Canadians being detained in China, as we know. And in terms of a bit of the, 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 the particular side of it, the, uh, the foreign service is like the public service, but the foreign service are those public servants who join their country's public service and expect to do spend most of their service abroad. And that usually involves what we call posting. So you'll, in the, case, the Canadian case, you would join, you'd spend a couple of years in Ottawa being trained, and then you would go out on an assignment for two, three, four years, then you may get another assignment after that or come back to Ottawa, but you can expect to spend about half of your career abroad. I spent 33 years in our Foreign Service, and I spent about half of that overseas in various posts representing Canada. And that's the the key verb. It's that you represent your country at various levels. The head of the office abroad is called ambassador in most places, but we also use the term High Commissioner if they're part of the Commonwealth of Nations. This is the old British Empire, British Commonwealth now, Commonwealth right. of Nations. Okay. And that's a kind of preferred relationship because... Why? Because the Queen in Canada is still our head of state. So in countries like Australia, New Zealand, and Britain, who are also members of the Commonwealth. We don't call our head of mission. And again, the mission is the, the office that's assigned to that country... We don't call them ambassador. We call them high commissioners. We have a series of high commissioners. And if it is a British colony, as, for example, when I was posted in Hong Kong, then our head of mission is called a commissioner. We also have representation outside of the capital. In the capital of the country, again, ambassador or uh, high commissioner. But in important offices like Los Angeles, uh, New York, we will have consulates Consul generals, and the the head the, the head of mission there is called consul general. If it's because usually the mission could often be in New York, for example, it's a hundred people, and that's bigger than a lot of our embassies abroad. We also have we've got a an honorary consul in Arizona in Phoenix. We used to have a consul there because it was a very small office of about three or four people, and so with a small office, we'll call them consulates, And a consul can either be in a uh, a commonwealth country or in a non-commonwealth country, but they're not in the capital. And there's a different set of protocols that apply to consulates than apply to our our missions in the capital. They are governed by the diplomatic convention or the consular convention, and these are conventions that were arrived at in 1815 after the Napoleonic Wars, and they still apply to a large degree. And these basically set out the protocols by which again, you go back to Star Trek, that original envoy was received in the country or the planet that they were going to visit. There'd be protocols basically providing for the protection of that envoy so they get special privileges that aren't accorded to either that host country's citizens or the uh, country to which they're accredited. And and that's basically to provide for their protection because they're there as the representative of their host country. And so they have a, this additional level of protection uh, to allow them to conduct the business on behalf of their country.
0: Fantastic. Um, I, And so that's I was going to ask that because I was wondering, how could something from, you said the Napoleonic War, you know, how, how could something right. from that long ago be relevant enough today? But it, it, when you're talking about protecting the people who are there from another country to deliver the, the government's message, that that makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah, and, and there was a time when envoys would go back in, you know, in, in sort of uh, biblical times when the envoys sometimes lost their heads and the heads would be sent home. Right. But over time they realized they had to protect the envoys because if you wanted to do business, and again, we're talking about political relations, but it could also be trade relations or simply protection of, the, of, uh, of in our case, Canadians abroad, so the consular side of it. So we came up with this fairly elaborate set of conventions and the current ones as they say that have a have application and they're contained in a book called sought out s a t o w s book uh it it's it's the 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 and it, and they are based on the, the original vienna conventions relating to as i said diplomatic and consular affairs
0: so so just to make sure that i i have this right, we have either embassies or High commissions in, like, in in nations' capitals, and whether it's an embassy or a high commission depends on our relationship with that country. Uh, the high commissions are in like uh, Commonwealth countries. Is that is that part right? Absolutely, you okay. got it, okay. Aaron. You got it. And then the consulates are when we have uh, a diplomatic relationship with uh, with a country in a place that's not the not the capital. So it's uh, like in New York or or Los Angeles or something like that.
1: Perfect, bingo! Okay. That's exactly Great. it. Where okay. we still have we have an important we, that that kind of, that city matters to us and that region matters to us. So we we have a consul there, a consul general there.
0: Right, and so um, I'm just thinking of it now. I know that we have a uh, a consul general uh, for Silicon Valley in the United States. Correct, right. absolutely, okay. based out of San Francisco. Right, got it. Um, and so I wanted to ask um, for embassies or high commissions. Like, do we have do we have those everywhere in the world, or are there some countries where, where we don't have them? Yes, there are some countries.
1: I think we have a total of 193, 194 missions abroad uh, that that would cover—we um, have representation in every continent, except Antarctica, obviously the Arctic, <laughs> but in, in, in Africa, for example, uh, our missions in certain places are accredited to two or three countries. Right, okay. And so that the ambassador would be, they say, accredited, based in one country, but when they travel to the other country, they still have the they are the, they are the principal Canadian representative, right? That makes and, sense. and other countries do the same thing. Sometimes, where we don't have a, a host representative, then we will rely on a friendly country. For example, Australia represented our consular interests in Hawaii, and my Australian uh, colleague. Consul General there, who was there essentially for intelligence purposes, used to complain to me that he was always dealing with consular relations—that is, Canadians breaking their leg or getting a, getting drunk right. and getting into trouble with the law—and so we, we would sort of follow that from there. <laughs>
0: oh that's fantastic um so uh that actually leads to to my next question which is what is the day in the life of an ambassador look like and i know this this must change from place to place but in general what what is an ambassador doing and actually maybe before we get to that what specifically are our embassies or our high commissions responsible for uh, our embassies and our high commissions are responsible for the Whole, what
1: we now call whole of government relationship with that host country, so that covers everything from you sort of say soup to nuts. But it's the political relationship we may have with them. It's the trading relationship we have with them. The, often, Canada being a country of the world, it's uh, in immigration. We have well, we are an immigrant receiving country, so we'll we'll have officers there dealing with the immigration. And then there are often Canadians that, have, that are working there uh, and are studying there. And then we have, so we have consular relations again, looking after the interests of those Canadians. Uh, it it really does cover the, the the waterfront, but the core is the political economic relationship, the trading relationship. Uh, often in, in third world countries, we'll have a we'll have a team responsible to help with development. So they'll be there providing funding and managing programs to help that country develop, and then, as I mentioned, the immigration side, and then, of course, the consular side, which is the protection of those Canadians that may be traveling to that country or working in that country or studying in that country.
0: There we go. And so then, how does that work? How does the ambassador be responsible for all of those things? What do they do during the day?
1: Well, that's why we call them head of mission. So the the, the common term for the ambassador, consul general, High Commissioner is Head of Mission because they're responsible for the Canadian mission to that country. And so in any given day, you'll often find the the, the Head of Missions, uh, they'll be dealing with the heads of those program areas I talked about, the, the Senior Trade Commissioner, the head of the political and economic group, and that, that person is usually also responsible for the cultural relations with that, We have visiting uh, symphonies or... Or we may have uh, a violinist coming, for example. So the, the, that would be a piece of it. And then there's the migration side of it, with people coming in wanting to, to come to Canada and, and be responsible for that. And then, as I mentioned, there's the consular side. And that Canadian has a baby. Uh, they want that baby to be registered so they can have their Canadian citizenship card. Uh, or they they want to apply for the old-age pension. Or they've, they've, uh, they've had bad luck and they, they're... They they've wound up in trouble with the local law, so they'll often appeal to you. So the, the, those are the the functions, and, and the the head of the administration, that is the person who is responsible for the administration of the office, is somebody that the head of mission spends a fair bit of time with because we're dealing with multi-million dollar, in a sense, enterprises. So you've got to you're constantly watching how the money is flowing out. You're uh, and it's everything from the 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 management of the mission in terms of. The paying the 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 rent or paying the heat and lightning, but you're nice. also yep. uh, you've got Canadians that are resident there and they' they're probably renting houses so you're responsible for that or if they it's their plumbing breaks they, they, the 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 admin head of admin has to manage that as well so it's a it's a it's a massive operation and there's a a code what they call foreign service directives providing for the staff especially the canada based staff in the operation what privileges do they get, and that covers everything from their schooling to their Medical costs, for example, and, and how many times can they return home uh, on a kind of family visit? But the most important function, in many ways, you could say, you your your mission, but your principal mission, especially of head of mission, is your dealings with the foreign government. So you're seeing the foreign minister, the head of the foreign ministry. You'll be calling on, on various other ministries. Uh, you'll be you'll be uh, attending say, a business promotion lunch because there's Canadians are coming to sell. So the presence of the head of mission, whether they man or women. Uh, is there to, in a sense, represent Canada. Right. It may be going to a school to give a talk about what a diplomat does. It may be going to a factory that is uh, opening as a result of Canadian investment. It may be going to a trade show where you've got Canadians that have come to sell things to that host country. Uh, and the, what, what people sometimes forget is a tremendous amount of work of the head of mission in particular, but all diplomats, is done at what, the receptions and cocktail parties. And whereas these are looked at by some as just an opportunity to have a drink, in fact, that's where you do your networking. The, the, the core, uh, the, the best diplomats have a superb network. And that means a fellow diplomats, the host country nation, business people, uh, the head of the hospital, people that you can call to help advance your country's interests. And you develop these networks from time spent and you have to develop them fairly quickly and often the best way to develop these things are both in meetings but particularly at social occasions where you make a point of working through a crowd and when they talk about working a reception, they they truly mean it because there may come time, uh, it's happened to me several times, when you're called upon to find somebody who can quickly help your government.
0: That really speaks to how many different skills you have to have to have the, the role, because you've got to be then someone who is, like, politically savvy, but also, you know, economically savvy, but then also socially savvy, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, Aaron, that's exactly right. And that's why diplomacy truly is a vocation, that people spend their entire careers, and the longer you spend at it, the better you get. I mean, the, the biggest challenge for any diplomat is getting access In a place like the United States, and especially the U.S. Congress, you don't have money or votes, so you do it on personal relationships. So again, I underline this because it's a vocation and you build up over time, uh, which is why, for example, in China, you may have read our previous ambassador and our our current charge d'affaires has been there, in fact, four times working on China relations because over time you accumulate relationships which you would, when you become the head of mission, really come into their own.
0: Right. And so then that does kind of lead us to the question of how someone gets to that role. What kind of backgrounds do uh, do ambassadors come from, and then how do they ultimately become an ambassador?
1: Well, most countries have a career foreign service, whether we're talking Russia, United States, Canada, and these are usually recruited out of university with a, uni- with a, a bachelor's degree or increasingly a master's degree, but you come from all backgrounds. And there's a general foreign service exam and a public service exam. Then there's a series of interviews in which they do scenario playing. You talked about the social side of it, so you're, you're, you're asked, you're put in a situation. Remember, one of mine was, all right, you have to deal with the, uh, the anti-SEAL hud uh, protesters who are outside the consulate. Go out and speak to them. How are you going to handle this? Because th- these are real-life situations that you will have to deal with. So when you get in, uh, Canadian diplomats have to be uh, proficient in both English and French, and uh, then you go through the training. The Canadian, we now have a Canadian Foreign Service Institute, where you're 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 trained on China relations, on U.S. relations. You're trained on consular affairs, on administration of an office, and then you're posted abroad. And it, again, it's like a steady apprenticeship. It really is. If you become a journeyman, and then you be, over time you become a master. And, and often we'll have people who will specialize in a particular area or in a particular discipline. Uh, I, I've talked to Canada generally geographically, but we also have people who are highly skilled, for example, in arms control or in climate increasingly now. These are, these are increasingly important areas that matter to Canada. The Most of the people that you deal with in the Foreign Service would have been Foreign Service officers, but increasingly we're bringing in specialists from other government departments or, say, from business, um, and in terms of the head of the mission, that is a, uh, the, the ambassador, the high commissioner. Ultimately that's the, the, the choice of the prime minister on the advice of the foreign minister. The list is comprised within the department, passed to the foreign minister, who then in turn passes it to the prime minister, and the prime minister is the one who decides who will be Canada's envoys abroad. And so then, you'll, then then you'll get these announcements either from the prime minister or the foreign minister with a list of individuals who are going out as our heads of mission in the role of a, they say, ambassador or high commissioner, or sometimes consul general.
0: Okay, so uh, let's turn a little bit to what happened uh, with John McCallum, Canada's former ambassador to China. Um, I don't want to get too far into the into the weeds of it, but um, are there rules or guidelines about speaking to the press, and is that? Is that what went wrong in this situation, or uh, what's what's your perspective on on what happened there?
1: Uh, well, uh, are there guidelines? Generally, ambassadors are expected to be seen but seldom heard, and when they do speak, they they're they're speaking the official line of their country in the public sense. Although public diplomacy is now becoming such a big piece that that uh, diplomats are now expected to be. Slightly more public than what they say, but when, when you're talking about an issue, in this case, the extradition treaty applies between Canada and the United States, the, where the Prime Minister and Foreign Minister Christopher Freeland had both spoken, the ambassador should reflect exactly what Prime Minister and the Foreign Minister have said, and they can elaborate, but they should not go off script.
0: Right, because and that's that's essentially I, I, the role, right? Is to is to communicate that message. That's one of the primary roles of being that ambassador.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that the role of the ambassador, uh, the head of mission, is basically you're you're the voice of your government. You're also the ears of your government because you have to listen very carefully to what your foreign interlocutors are telling you and send that information back. You're also advising your government, so those are, I think the key roles of the head of mission. Again, the voice, the official voice of the government, the the years of the government, and then the advisor based on the situation on the field. If you think of a football situation, you're like the quarterback. The play may be called in from home office, but you're expected to to implement the play based on the conditions in the country in which you're at, because you know what the environment is like. And uh, if the host country begins to doubt that you are a reliable reflection of your government, then you're basically not much use. Right. At the same time, if your government thinks that the advice that you're feeding back to them is insufficient or your judgment isn't sound, then again, it's time for a change. And I think in the case of uh, Mr. McCallum, the prime minister made the decision that he, he, he could no longer be trusted to be the, that reliable voice on behalf of the Canadian government, because Some of his comments, well, they may have seemed like common sense in some ways, were muddling the waters and affecting not just the Canada-China relationship, but also the Canada-U.S. relationship. So it was time to, in a sense, relieve Mr. McCallum of his responsibilities, and the government will now be considering about who to put in to succeed him. In the meantime, one of the career professional diplomats who's had many postings is our charge d'affaires and And again, that's another term. they are the like the acting ambassador. they don't have the full powers of the ambassador, but they are representing the Canadian interests in the in China at this moment
0: right and so that's the the that role is the is essentially the is are they the the second in command or are they the the person who's in command when the head of mission is not around is that or are they the same thing?
1: Uh, it's a, often it's the same thing. That in, in, in our big offices and big embassies, we have a deputy
0: chief of mission, okay. and
1: it is normally the deputy chief of mission, which Jim Nichol is. He's, our, he's now been he's deputy chief of mission, but now he's also chargé d'affaires, chargé interim, until the government, and it may be some months or some weeks before the government decides on who our next ambassador is going to be.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time today. If people are looking to learn more, where can they find you on the internet?
1: I have a a website, uh, colinrobertson.ca, or they can go to the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, cgai.ca, and we've got a hundred fellows like myself who, some of them former diplomats, uh, some of them served in the Canadian Forces, uh, scholars, researchers, some former business people, who, who write on international affairs
0: based on our
1: experience.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much. Aaron, you're welcome. Interact maintains one of the world's largest debit networks by supporting 28 million active debit cards in Canada. Thanks to their secure technology and zero liability policy, Canadians can make everyday purchases with peace of mind. Learn more at Interact.ca slash fraudprevention. Thank <laughs> you.